You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident fanalist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. Again, I apologize for not getting you the regular program. I mean, I gave you two a day, but whatever. I give you more than any human being on planet Earth in regards to the Green Bay Packers. But I apologize for not getting you your first podcast of the day. Just going to go ahead and take credit for that. But what I want to do today is kind of go through some shower thoughts. I mean, literally, I, I need to start rescheduling my day to make sure that the shower precedes the podcast because, man, some stuff comes up. It's a little bit random, and I don't know how to, like, smoothly segue it because I went through, like, my mind just goes from, it just connects from one to the next to the next to the next, and I end up somewhere with an interesting topic, and it's like, I don't know how to explain the pathway, or maybe we should just skip the pathway and be like, what's up with this, right, guys? But um, let's see, how do I, let's do the first one here. I don't want to go entirely through the PFF grades, although we need to do that. I want to start with just sort of a thought. And um, it applies to a lot. It really does. Let, Let me just highlight a couple of people and their PFF grades before we get into the full on thing. One on offense and I want to do one on defense. And there's plenty of other examples, and we can we can touch on them as we go through the PFF grades. But just to kind of highlight something here. You know, I went through and did the live podcast, and I just eviscerated some people. Very angry, very unhappy. We listened to Packernet After Dark. Some people called in. Very unhappy. With different people, whether it's Matt LaFleur, Jordan Love, TJ Slayton, Darnell Savage. I'm seeing Darnell. Well, we'll get there. Whatever, right? Uh, Matt LaFleur, Joe Barry, especially. I think Joe Barry's on the... Uh, the ire against Joe Barry is probably the... Uh, it's probably the hottest right now. On offense, I want to highlight Jordan Love and his, as far as his PFF grades. He was given a 65 passing grade. We'll get into the specifics of all that, but that actually ranks right in the middle as far as where he is. It's it's technically above average, with a 60 being exactly average. Um, that's not that bad. Jordan Love is really, according to PFF, and I understand this is not the be-all, end-all, and there are probably some people that are not big PFF people that, that hate when I speak as though this is the be-all, end-all, because it's not. But it is, it is a very good metric. Um, it is, you know... It kind of bridges a lot of gaps because it's like statistics, but also it's film, right? This is what they do. They watch the film, they go through every single thing, and then they grade on a criteria, and they kind of turn the statistics, some very detailed statistics that they get from watching each and every play and turning it into a metric that is somewhat understandable, at least from the standpoint of 60 is average, below that and above that, you can kind of figure it out. According to them, though, he has had one bad game. According to me, he's had mostly bad games, but... He's had one bad game, and it was week five against the Raiders. They gave him a 47 grade. Not like a zero, not a 13, not a 25, not a 38, a 47, bordering on 50. That's it, though. His next lowest game was a 58. He's only had two other games that are below a 60. Week one against Chicago, which, I mean, that turned out okay. 
Um, and then week seven against Denver, 58.5 grade. That's it. So, you know, again, I, I, I looked at it and I just thought, you know, I, I let, let's get to the defensive piece here. Darnell Savage. Savage was not great. He had a 55 PFF, uh, excuse me, a uh, 58 PFF grade. That's not ideal. It's also not the worst thing in the world. It's almost exactly average. Here's sort of the, the point, because I, I, um, I sort of misremembered a couple things, especially when it came to Jordan Love. And the biggest frustration I had is he, w- he missed so many balls that were so easy, and he missed them by so much that as soon as you see it, your brain just kind of goes to, oh, no. And then he does it five, six, seven other times, whatever it was, and it's like, this guy's freaking awful. And then you start to see people go through and talk about Jordan Love had a good day, and I'm like, what are you freaking weirdos talking about? I think the first one I saw was from Green and Gold Draft, GNG Draft. I've referenced him a couple times. Um, somebody tagged me in this, but it's uh, he did a couple. He said, individual bright spot number one was Tucker Craft. I was not high on this pick in April, but the coaches and player himself have developed him into a bona fide NFL starting tight end in year one, unusual for that position. His blocking is now better than average. Now, I'm not all in on Tucker Craft, but you can't deny that he has grown leaps and bounds. I mean, every single week he seems to be getting better. Now, we said that about Jordan, and he kind of, you know, a bad day is coming, but the bottom line is he's growing, no doubt about it. But then he says, individual bright spot number two, Jordan Love. And I saw that, and I'm like, come on, bro. Like, I thought we were going with uh, McDuffie or something. Like, you're going to pick Jordan Love. Like, one of the obvious low spots you're going to pick as a high spot. And he says, despite playing tentative in the first half, which always causes his front foot to pull off target, he again proved his poise in primetime game by playing like himself in the second half. His last two throws to Malik Heath were elite. And I kind of thought about it. I'm like, you know what? It really was. Then I found this clip from uh, Cheesehead TV, and it is um, um, Aaron Nagler talking about Jordan Love. Every throw, every down is not a referendum on Jordan Love. You want a little bit of progress, incremental or otherwise. I'm not going to tell you that he played a great game or he's arrived or anything like that, but much like I said earlier in the year, there are going to be ups and downs, but that doesn't mean that you throw out all the progress you saw with Jordan Love over the last couple weeks. Certainly, there are people who are not sold on Jordan Love, and I don't think any amount of high-level play are going to sell them on Jordan Love until he wins a ring because they pushed out Aaron Rodgers for Jordan Love. And I kind of understand that mentality, but those people are probably never going to be swayed, right? But to everyone else who isn't hell-bent on running the kid out of town after one bad game, this is part of the learning process. He certainly had a bad game and certainly started the game poorly. It's not a referendum on this season or certainly his career in the way that maybe the internet would want to have you believe. So there are a couple things that he mentioned in there that are worth mentioning. The first one is how he talked about you can't throw away everything he's done, and that's true. There are certain things he's done that are that you can't undo. We saw the throws, right? And so the point is, there were questions in terms of, like, what is he able to do? And those questions have been answered in a very, very positive way. Now, whether or not he's going to have a great career, I don't know. But we at least know his ceiling is through the roof, right? We've seen it. But then there's another point that he didn't necessarily make that that I, I kind of thought about as I watched some of these throws, like to Malik Heath and whatnot, is that he didn't... I, I was wrong when I said that we saw, like, week five Jordan Love. We did not see week five Jordan Love. 
we saw a combination of week five and week 13. I, I pick five because that's the one low graded game. You can pick whatever game you didn't like the most. But we saw inaccurate Jordan Love. We saw bad first half Jordan Love. But we didn't just see generally good Jordan Love in the second half. We saw miraculous, holy crap throws in the second half. That throw, and and you know what? Let's uh, let's bring this up. I didn't think about it until now, but uh, I don't think I have it. I got to go find it. I'll just play the whole thing. I, I got a lot of time to fill here. Um, <laughs> but Pat McAfee, Jordan, uh, Aaron Rodgers, right? They got to bring up Jordan Love. Rodgers, obviously not a big fan of this discussion. He's kind of getting tired of it, but I'm glad that they do it. And Rodgers, to some degree, you know, I understand the frustration, but you got to understand, man, this is like the red meat. This is what people want to know. This is what people like me want to hear. Like, I know you already said it, but like, tell me again, like what's going on in your head. Plus, there's a lot of misunderstanding the first time. And you can kind of hear that here where it's like, hey, you said this and not da, 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 da. And Rodgers like, OK, well, yeah, it's not really super what I meant, but let's let's try it again. But anyways, the, the biggest reason I want to play this, it's only about three and a half minutes long is the way he describes, and this was, again, kind of me just through the day listening to stuff, going through the process of kind of relearning and rethinking about stuff. When he talked about that throw to Malik Heath, you kind of remember it, and then they're showing clips I obviously can't show you, but feel free to go find it. Can't be that hard. Social media, I'm sure it's everywhere. Um, When you really think about that throw and you hear Rodgers describe the throw, it's like, you're right, dude. That's freaking crazy. Let's talk about what you just alluded to there, you know? You know, last week you talked about Jordan Love, mm-hmm. right? And you said, can we let this guy, you know, can we let him have his career before we do anything? Last night he has a game in which he didn't look perfect, but the defense is obviously a full team. Jordan Love, he's riding this wave. What Are you talking to him? Do you message him? Do you think, do you watch from afar and say like, hey, handling it, like how he's handling it is good? Like, what is your whole... Like at this stage, with how you're viewing Jordan Love's first year as a starter for the Packers after your departure. Buddy, didn't we talk about this last week? I think he's doing fantastic. I think he's playing really, really well. Um, it comes down to the same stuff. It's, and, and I've been in the room with Tom before, and I know what he's all about. It's about decision-making. It's about footwork. Um, it's about uh, accuracy. And he's graded very, very difficultly. And you might play a perfect game and think that uh, you know, you get a positive grade, and I had many, many hundred quarterback rating games with negative grades from Tom because Tom believed in me and the potential, and I know he feels the same way about Jordan. So he's getting the best coaching in his room possible. Just want to pause it there. I had myself muted, <laughs> talking to myself. Um, that by itself, we haven't even gotten into the meat yet. That that by itself is is fantastic and also very much forgotten about. You know, Aaron Rodgers, obviously, it was fantastic to have Jordan Love learn from Aaron Rodgers. It's fantastic to have him learn behind Matt LaFleur. That's my position on that. I think Matt LaFleur is fantastic with quarterbacks. I think Aaron Rodgers, obviously, is one of the best to ever throw a football, in my opinion. Um, and so Jordan has had some great people to learn from and we all mostly acknowledge that but uh Tom Clements is another guy that really helped to mold Aaron Rodgers and Rodgers has given him a lot of credit for that and um you know when he looks at it and obviously he's always like slanted toward his friends right we know that that's kind of how he operates it could be that you know um LaFleur is 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 a, a like better at that job or whatever but you know Rodgers is going to give it to Clements but he's the quarterback coach anyways um it's just something that we forget about in terms of a guy that really can help 
to mold him. And 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 the cool thing about Clements is even if there are slightly better guys, this that you know, I don't know, whatever, but um Number one, Rodgers likes him as a person, but he also genuinely respects him as somebody that is that is able to teach him things, and that's important, right? He likes him, and he's always slanted toward the people he likes, which can be negative, but it, it depends because if he likes you because he respects you because of how good you are at your job, and your job is to make him a great quarterback and to really put some pressure on him, because I'm sure there are quarterback coaches that will come in and try to talk to Rodgers and be able to offer nothing. Like, Rodgers knows more than... I'm sure there's a lot of young quarterback coaches that would love to teach him stuff. And Rogers like, dude, shut up. Like this is one-on-one crap. Get out of my face. But you know, Clements was always that guy that was able to really push and find things and tweak and hone. And, um, and the other thing is to, you know, not that Jordan love should be Rogers, but in a sense, he is their play style is very similar. And so for a guy to have somebody like Jordan to be able to mold him and kind of, understand the strengths and weaknesses of his play style, which again is very similar to Rodgers, right? They have a slightly different mentality. I think Jordan's a little bit more of a gunslinger. We understand that, but they still have that very similar, you know, off the back foot kind of using your body and torque and all that kind of stuff that Rodgers would talk about. Um, it's just kind of a forgotten aspect of um, kind of what's behind the scenes with Jordan Love and potentially a lot to do with where he's at today, which there is a lot of growth. And as much as it's disheartening to see that, as I said before, well, we'll, we'll get to that. We'll get, to, let's get to the thing with Rod. Um, he holds himself to a high standard, uh, but I think he is, uh, everything's in place for him to be uh, a starter at a high level for a long, long time. Uh, he, you know, he, he can uh, throw, make all the throws. He can move in the pocket. Obviously, there's some things it looks like he's doing at the last scrimmage. So the understanding of the offense and his understanding of defense as well uh, is great. Um, you know, I just think for his sake, and I've said this again, I said last week, like the overreaction stuff, I'm sure that he's uh, staying out of it and the ups and downs because nothing really good comes from that to be, you know, feeling yourself after a win or, or downing yourself after a loss. There's absolutely nothing. You just got to ride the ride the wave kind of staying above it and out of it and uh, being even keeled and kind of showing up and being the same guy every single week. Um, I think he's got a real good uh, demeanor about him and uh, he had a great drive last night. I mean, think about this is how ridiculous our game is in our oh, media yeah. cycle. They take the ball down the field. He throws a, mm-hmm. a crazy pass on a Omaha on the outside. Kid makes a great catch in the end zone. Um, and, you know, you're kicking the ball back off. You're up by what? You're up by a couple points. One, one point. One with how many minutes? Uh, like a minute. Ball on the 20. Ball on the 20. And this is a, they're bringing zero pressure. It throws a ridiculous. Only one place you can, you can throw this thing. Uh, a great catch by, by uh, was a Heath. Yeah. Um, but but better throw. Um, incredible throw. <laughs> uh, if you look at it from the other angle, great there's only one spot throw. for this ball, right? Mm-hmm. You know, 25 is all over it. Kid makes a great hands catch for sure, but an amazing play. And what's the narrative if uh, the defense stops, you know, an uh, undrafted kid from going uh, 50 yards down the field? Tommy it's like, hey, you know, Packers are 7-6. and six. Now they're the, you know, what, five, six seed or whatever. And uh, all is right in the world. They could win out. They could, you know, with Detroit struggling, they could get the, what, the three seed. You know, all these different storylines that would start to pop up. But instead now, like in the AFC, I think there's six teams at 7-6. and six. NFC, there's... 
Is it five or six teams at mm-hmm. six and seven? Bro, it's all of the teams. Yeah. Are- so I'm going to just stop it there because I get into the nuance of other teams and whatnot. But more importantly, I want to hone in. Not not only did he praise that throw, which again, I, I just, you know, they showed that clip like four times as he's talking. So I'm watching it over and over and over again. And Rodgers is like, look at that. It can only be in one spot. He's completely blanketed. Now, to be fair, Malik Heath was wide open. Some people pointed that out. I, I think having watched that, the play was to go to Malik Heath. Or not, excuse me, not Malik Heath. It was to go to Jaden Reed. Jaden Reed was wide open. And uh, I think Jordan, he he made a call at the line. He recognized something. He knew his man coverage. He shifted the, I believe, running back over. And that moved somebody from that side. So there was a ton of cushion is what he realized. And I, I'm sure there was a corner they wanted to pick on. Jordan thought he could make the throw. And so he identified that as, as a real good opportunity for him to be able to throw it to Malik Heath and make a play. So he kind of... I think he changed the play away from Jaden Reed to Malik Heath, essentially, is what happened. So as much as people want to get on it, well, he had a guy wide open. I think that was the play. And maybe he was wrong, because I'm sure Jaden would have been open no matter what. Um, but anyways, that that's just my thought on that. I, I don't actually know that for sure. But um, I think the other important thing, and uh, Rodgers was kind of touching on it, but not as directly is, you know, he talks about how the, the, the media narrative would change about the Green Bay Packers had the defense just made a freaking stop. But not only that, it would, it would, the narrative would change on Jordan, and that shouldn't happen. The bottom line is Jordan did exactly what he needed to do. Now, I understand this wasn't a great performance, but how many times have we talked about Rodgers as a failure because he wasn't able to, no, not, not everybody, but there's a lot of people when they talk about Rodgers, like, oh, one Super Bowl, one How many times has he done his job? Let a comeback, did everything he needed to do, and the defense let him down. Jordan Love did it. And that's another thing that's different than earlier in the year because I asked, I remember asking the question. I don't remember much, but there are sometimes I just remember things. And I said, this was an opportunity for Jordan to prove he can be that guy. Go down and, and win the game. And he couldn't do it, right? We didn't win the game. He couldn't make that drive down the field and score the game winning touchdown. But not only that, not only does he need to go down and, and make the game winning touchdown. I know it wasn't the longest drive in the world. I don't give a crap. The bottom line is when the game's on the line, we need a guy that can go down there and get it done. He not only got it done, but he got it done using heroic measures, right? Can you not only be the guy that can do it, but can make just the most unbelievable throw in the world to make sure that it gets done? Can you be that guy? And he proved again, he can be that guy. Again, he's still got some stuff to work out. The, the early thing, whatever, yeah, that, that, that sucks, and I want it to go away forever, and it's bad. But it's still growth. He still showed some things that ha- didn't show up until like week 9 or 10 or whatever week it was. Those things didn't start showing up. We can call it week 12, whatever, against Detroit. The heroic, amazing, holy crap throws. Which, by the way, you know how you can cash it in for two and a half quarters and still get a 65 grade when you come back and you look like peak Aaron Rodgers. That's how. He still showed things in this week 14 game that he was not doing earlier in the season. I'm not saying he had a good game because he didn't. I'm not saying he did enough because he didn't. In fact, you could easily say if he had performed better, as I did before, we win this game. But you could say that about a lot of people. But the bottom line is a couple things. Number one, I was wrong when I said he reverted back. He didn't. There's still growth. Number two, as Aaron Nagler alluded to, you can't take away some of the things that he has. Just because he had a bad day doesn't mean that those things aren't true. We've seen the arm and he has that ability. And that's a good thing. It's just a matter of harnessing it. But then also beyond that, I, I said, even good players have bad days. It's bound to happen. Now, you don't want it to happen 
right when you're sitting there thinking everything is wonderful. And it's it's against the backdrop of his best game against Kansas City, against one of the top teams in football. He looked like the best quarterback in the entire game. And now you go up against the worst, you know, one of the worst, that's nah, not the worst defense. It's not a good defense. And you look like that. And you're, you know, and you can't even blame it on anything. You got time, you got space, you've got a guy wide open. It's a short pass and you miss him by five yards. Like it's, it's brutal. But the bottom line is good quarterbacks have bad days. And if it wasn't for our insecurities about Jordan Love, like I've said this a thousand times, if Aaron Rodgers had a day like that and ended with a 65, we'd look at it and be pissed. We'd be crucifying him. We'd be saying all the things, but we wouldn't be saying he's not that good and maybe we should draft a new quarterback. I mean, if if, if Aaron Rodgers was 25 years old, if we could just rewind time and, and it was Rodgers and he had a bad day, Nobody would be worried about the future. We wouldn't be worried about 2024. None of that. He's allowed to have bad days. It's really just a question of, like, can you clean this up and to what degree? He's never going to be perfect. He's going to have, everybody's going to have bad days. Rashawn, I love Rashawn Gary. Dude has a lot of bad days. Devontae and, and, uh, and, and David Bakhtiari very rarely had bad days, but they would show up once in a while. The question for Jordan Love has nothing to do with how good he is because this guy has the ability to be the best quarterback in football. I'll just I'll just lay the freaking hammer down. He can be the best quarterback in the entire NFL. I have no doubt about that. The question is the consistency. How often do we get to see that? Is it once a year? Is it five times a year? Is it 10 times a year? Is it 14 times a year? How often do we get elite Jordan Love? And then when you do have a bad day, how bad is it? Are there patterns to when it shows up? Is it is it in prime time? Is it going to be in the playoffs? Is it just kind of random? Is it da, da, da? you know what I mean? Like we're still learning this stuff. But the guy had a bad day, right? It is what it is. Why don't we take a break? I want to elaborate a little bit more on this. Kind of say the same thing, but kind of look at it from a a, a different vantage point. Not just Jordan, but kind of everybody. We'll take a break. Uh, we'll be right back. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. All right, so in that similar vein, I brought up Darnell Savage for a reason. I kind of went off on a tangent with Jordan Love and all that kind of stuff, and it was kind of to bring up a different point, and I just went down that rabbit hole. But I think 
we all have, we all know that we overreact to stuff. Like we, we know that we do that. I don't think we do a good enough job of reining ourselves back in or possibly even understanding to what degree we're overreacting. I think Darnell Savage is a really good example of that. Um, let me just go over to Savage real quick. So I'm looking at Darnell Savage. I'm trying to figure, because I'm going online. Let me just pull up some stuff. And I don't want to put anybody, you know, I don't want to blast anybody or whatever, but I'll just read a couple nameless comments here. But I started seeing stuff. And I, I listen, I'm not even going to say that these things are wrong, okay? Because I just, I, I know this can be misconstrued as like I'm attacking people, whatever. But we got stuff like, you know, last night was, you know, the end for Darnell Savage. Darnell Savage is dog whatever. Goot's first round pick miss, just cut the dead weight. Not a banner night for Darnell Savage. Cut Darnell Savage. The only reason why he's safe from being in a highlight reel is because Saquon fumbled on his own. So, anyways, po- the point is like I, I'm seeing this and I'm like, what happened? I don't I don't remember anything at all. The only play I remember is when he got hurt getting hit by the quarterback. And I'm not really going to dog him for that. I made a joke about it, but I'm not seriously going to uh, ask for him to be cut. But something happened, and somebody saw it. And it reminds me of last week with Devondre Campbell. Last week, everybody wanted Campbell's head, and I had no idea why. And so I go to see how Darnell Savage did. And again, he had a 58 PFF grade, which is not good. It's not terrible. The terrible grades would be Corey Ballantyne, who had a 46, Kingsley and Igbare, who had a 41, and Keyshawn Nixon with a 40. But I'm looking at him like, okay, what did he do? There were three targets, three receptions for 15 yards. Well, that's obviously not bad. He didn't give up any touchdowns, no pass breakups, no interceptions, 87.5 passer rating. Like, there's, there's nothing terrible there. But I see he had a 29.9 tackling grade. And I see he missed three tackles, which is the most of anybody on the team. And I'm thinking that must be what it is. Here's my issue, though. And again, I I think we just we get stuff stuck in our head. Certain things stand out and it's like, boom, that's it. Just like me with Jordan Love. I saw those missed passes and I was just stuck on it. He's dog crap. But for whatever reason, like it didn't stick in my head, those amazing throws at the end. And I didn't even mention, by the way, the throw right prior to that with um, Malik Heath for the touchdown. That was another one. Aaron Nagler posted a highlight of that. I don't remember exactly what it said, but it was basically, yeah, I don't really care that it wasn't a touchdown. This is a great throw. And if you go back and watch that, and I'm I'm really determined to uh, to make a video about it, very short video. When he decides to throw it, makes no sense. Watch when he plants his leg. Because when he plants his leg, he's getting into his throwing motion. And slowly, very slowly play it forward and see when and where he's throwing. Like, he's determined, I'm going to throw the ball right now, right to that spot. Heath is behind the defender. I I don't even understand what you're doing. But he knew exactly what he was doing. And, And another thing that deserves some credit, Heath knew what he was doing. And Jordan had the trust in Heath to say, okay, this is what you're supposed to do in this situation. I'm going to whip the ball right to that spot, and you better do it. Because guess what? The defender could very easily do it as well. I mean, it makes no sense. But but again, that stuff didn't stick in my head. The missed passes early did. And I, I don't know if I actually called him dog crap, but bottom line is my summary was he was dog crap. And I wasn't completely wrong. Some of that was. But again, the large point here is certain things get stuck in our head. Three missed tackles. He played 53 snaps. 
And it's not even that he had three missed tackles. I'm guessing you didn't know he had three missed tackles. There was one really bad missed tackle that you saw, and there were a ton of highlights, and it was like, this guy's dog crap. For the record, as a percentage, Corey Ballantyne was worse. He had three attempts and missed two of them. 66.7% missed tackle rate. Jonathan Owens was also worse. 33.3% missed tackle rate. He missed one of his three attempts. Then is Savage. Did, did you know on top of the three misses, he actually led the team in tackles and had seven tackles? He had the most tackles of anybody on the team. But of the 10 attempts, he missed three. Now, look, I just think we need to do a better job of just recognizing. Here, here's another good example. And let me put myself on blast here. Um, I was real fired up about TJ Slayton, right? When you burst into the backfield and you flat out miss a guy, which by the way, they did not credit him with a missed tackle for whatever reason. He had the second highest PFF grade of anybody on the team, or or probably on the team, of anybody in the defense. But he had an 87 PFF grade, 78 run defense, 70 tackling, 76 pass rush. He had one pressure on 12 attempts, which is fine. Um, he had one of his best days, maybe his best day ever as a Packer. And I'm over here just trashing the guy because I saw one play where I felt like he should have made a play and didn't. He played 34 snaps and I'm just roasting the guy who's having a great day because of his one snap of the 34 that I actually paid attention to, which accounts for just under 3% of what he did for the day. And by the way, it's not even that negative for him to be able to burst into the backfield in and of itself is a positive. And I think that this this is something that everybody needs to remember. Like, did he have a bad day? I didn't ask you if he had a bad play. I asked you if he had a bad day. Again, Darnell Savage, 53 snaps. Three of them we know were bad. Talk to me about the other 50. That's also a problem I have with, like, re-watching stuff. It's a great idea to go back and watch it again. But even then, if you're just watching it like you're casually going through it, you're not doing yourself any justice because you're just doing the same thing again. Certain things are going to stick in your head. So what I would recommend, I mean, if you're actually going to go do it and you're really going to try to watch film and break it down and decide whether somebody had a good day or a bad day, you have to do it with intentionality. I would recommend looking at just one player and go through every single play for that player for that game. And it would be a good idea to actually chart it. And what I mean by that is just just like when I talk about grading, which I know seems like a lot of work, but really it's just a way of, of marking down the good and the bad and just, just let it, let the chips fall where they may be honest. Don't go into it, you know, negatively grading. Cause you just are mad at the player. Go in and just look at positive, negative, or neutral. And then at the end of it, see what it comes out to. And it might kind of surprise you, or at least look at units, you know, look at the DBs, go play by play, but then go by person by person. Same with offensive line, defensive line, whatever. But I think for us to sit here only watching the live game and coming to conclusions like Darnell Savage needs to be cut because of one play that I saw is wildly irresponsible. Now, to be very clear, I'm not advocating for keeping Darnell Savage. I'm not doing that. I'm just saying that the critiques are lazy. Because I know that there isn't a single person that's on social media. I shouldn't, you know, maybe there is somebody, but there is nobody on social media trashing Darnell Savage that watched the 53 snaps just of Darnell Savage. I didn't say go back and watch the tape. And I I went through it and Savage happened to be on the field. I'm saying you watch Darnell Savage 
particularly, like by himself, every single snap. And here are the conclusions I came to. People aren't doing that. They're reacting to highlights that they saw. And, and if you don't have access to, you know, the all 22 or whatever, just especially for safety, like it's just it's just difficult to be critical because you don't know. You don't know what he's doing back there. And all you see are the missed tackles because the only time he comes into frame is, is when he misses a tackle, apparently. You can't see him blanketing a guy down the field and taking away a pass. So again, just a thought. Now, very odd transition here. Aside from, um, or contrary to me defending Darnell Savage, was the sort of shower thought that I had that was, not only would I like to kind of replace him, and I feel bad saying that, but I would. The thought of having like a real just dominant safety would be amazing. Because as much as I think, and I defend Darnell Savage sometimes, but I think it's just because, well, it's kind of twofold. Number one, there are a lot of players that are at Darnell Savage's level that are sometimes just not, at the very least, they're not getting the hate that Darnell does. And in some cases, they're actually really liked or revered. And it's like, come on, man, that ain't right. But I also think he's he's getting too much. It's a little too heavy on the hate. He's not as bad as people make him out to be. He's not good. Yes, we should find somebody better. I fully agree. And I know it doesn't sound like I'm saying that, but I'm just trying to correct some wrongs here. And, and it's not just him. It's everybody. We look at one play and we say they had a good day, they had a bad day. Even Keyshawn, which very obviously had a bad day. How many can you remember? Because he played 44 snaps and that's just defense. I'm not talking special teams. I know we all remember one. Can you think of a second one? How about a third or a fourth? Anyways. Um, so, so here's kind of how the shower thought went. This is going to be a very weird transition just completely away from this. Number one was I would love to, to really hammer the safeties and find some really good ones. Number two, when was the last time we had elite safeties in the NFL? What happened to elite safeties? Where did they go? Maybe this is a question for some of the scheme guys, but is there some kind of an adaptation that happened, or are we just at a point in the NFL where safeties just don't matter? I'm not saying there's not good safeties. There are good safeties, but can you even name them? Do you remember when there were safeties out there in the NFL that were just absolutely feared, that could just shut down an entire game? What happened to that? I can tell you exactly when it died. It dawned on me when I was in the shower. Sorry that I keep mentioning that. But I, I, I'm going to say 2018. And you can look at the grades and it's like, oh, people have graded that high every single year. I, I just, I feel like there hasn't been those guys since 2018. And the, the one guy that I'm looking at is a man by the name of Earl Thomas. I feel like that was the last truly elite safety. And in 2019, he became a free agent, and I wanted him bad. He went to Baltimore, he fell off, and then he left the league. And I don't, I don't think there has been an Earl Thomas since. Who is the Earl Thomas since Earl Thomas? Harrison Smith was good, no doubt. He deserves all the credit in the world. And he, he kind of played into whatever, but it's, he's not on that level. Let me read you the top five from 2019. A.J. Moore. You ever heard of him? Anthony Harris in Minnesota, Justin Simmons, Harrison Smith, and Marcus Williams. Every single one of these guys just kind of had that one year. You know, I mean, A.J. Moore was the highest graded guy. You know what his grade was the next year? 
53. And then after that was a 29. He's not a good football player. Anthony Harris had two years, 2018, 2019, and then he fell off a cliff. These guys are not actually like Earl Thomas every single year, like 10 years of being just a freaking enforcer on the back end. Who is that guy? 2020, we had Jesse Bates, right? The next year, he had a 67 PFF grade. DeAndre Houston Carson. The year prior, he had a 60. Two years later, he's at a 50. And then 2023, right now, he's at a 43 PFF grade. He's not freaking anybody. Adrian Amos for Green Bay in 2020 was a top safety. He's a good safety. He's not Earl Thomas. Charles Washington was a complete fluke. I got to actually put on some filters here because he didn't play all that much. Um, And then John Johnson's another one. Like he had a little flash there in LA and then he moved on to Cleveland and just fell off a cliff. Like he had a, a stretch of like three seasons where he was a good safety. Who's the guy? We don't have elite safeties anymore. I think if I had to pick one, it would be Antoine Winfield in Tampa Bay. He had a 90 grade in 2021, then that went down to a 70, uh, 79, but he still had a 90 run defense grade, a 91 tackling grade, a 91 pass rush grade. It's just that his coverage really went down. But then this year, he's back up to a 91 overall with 90 run defense, 84 tackling, 93 pass rush, 85 coverage. Um, so, I mean, maybe that's the guy we got to see. Because it's it's like his second year or something being truly elite, maybe third year if you want to call it that. Amani Hooker, he had one good year. Uh, Kevin Byard, he kind of looks like he's kind of beyond his prime. Um, I, it's it's uh, maybe Winfield is like the only one, and nobody knows his name. Nobody cares. <laughs> Seriously, a lot of talk about Jesse Bates. He's elite this year, but the last time he had a really elite grade was back in 2020. He's he's very very volatile, and it's it, you know his elite grades quote unquote are based on like you know, three really good games. He's he's unbelievably volatile. It's kind of Antoine Winfield too, to be honest. Same with Javon Holland, great rookie season, then fell off a cliff. Elite season again this year, but that's comprised of two elite games with a bunch of sixties in between. We just don't have them. And honestly, you can say the same thing about linebackers. Who's Luke Keekley since Luke Keekley? It's just, it's just, it's a different game, man. Safeties and linebackers, just apparently who gives a crap? I don't know. This league used to be filled with elite safeties and just linebackers that were terrifying. Nobody cares anymore. It's pass rushers and corners. It's just, maybe it's just because it's a passing league. I mean, you would think safeties would factor in. It's just, it's just not as much of a thing, I guess. I don't know. I don't know. It's just, again, maybe this is boring. I don't know. It's just a thought that I had. We just we have not had a guy since Earl Thomas. When Earl Thomas left Seattle and went to Baltimore, it broke safeties forever. And when Luke Keekley retired, he took linebackers with him. There's no more Luke Keekleys. There's no more Brian Erlackers or whatever else. I'm not saying there aren't good linebackers. There just aren't those guys that everybody talks about all the time. You can name somebody. When was the last time they were like featured all over everything? When was the last time the game fired up and they're like, watch out for this linebacker? Unless the team sucks and that's all they have. Nobody cares. Anyways, nobody cares about this conversation, I don't think. Why don't we take our final break if we haven't done that yet? I'm going to really quickly run through uh, the grades just so that you have that. And then we'll get out of here because I'm running a little bit late. We and uh, Me and Mr. Ramage went on for almost two hours, so <laughs> I got to speed this up. 
We'll take a break. We'll be right back. All right, we're just going to do the quick version. I'm not going to go like massively in depth on this stuff, especially since this is mostly burn this whole thing with fire. Um, especially on the offensive side. And honestly, there's a couple positives here. Number one, obviously, is Tucker Kraft. He had a 76 grade, second highest offensive player. I think we can all acknowledge that that is a positive. Just Kraft in general is a positive. The other thing is, I feel as though this collapse was such a collapse because it it, it was a team effort. Nobody had a grade below a 50, but almost nobody had a grade above a 60 on offense. It's almost as if everybody just took turns kind of sucking. So the positives were Patrick Taylor with a 78 grade, very good pass blocking, rushing, and run blocking grade, Tucker Craft, 76, and Zach Tom, 72. Zach Tom is becoming pretty reliable, actually, in terms of, even if he's not, he's, he's sort of like David Bakhtiari light. He's, he's very reliably good, whereas Bakhtiari was reliably, reliably elite. After that, you got Rashid Walker, 67, Dylan, 66, Ture, uh, 66, Dontavian Wick, 65, Runyon, 65. So those are like the averages. Um, then you get the below average, which is everybody else. Nobody was in the bad category. Love, 58.6. Again, his passing grade was a 65, but rushing was a 32, probably largely with that fumble. Uh, but 58.6 overall. Jaden Reed, 56. Sean Ryan, 56. Yash Nyman, 56. Malik Heath, 56. Elton Jenkins, 55. Josiah DeGuara, 55. Romeo Dobbs, 55. Josh Myers, 55. And Ben Sims, 52. That's not great. But it's not like, good Lord, you're a piece of crap. For Jordan, I mean, it, it wasn't like a disaster as far as pre uh, pressure or anything. Uh, in fact, he actually graded higher under pressure than when he was kept clean, very marginally, but 65.5 under pressure, 64 when clean. His touchdown and his pick came with no pressure. As far as the stats, I was a little surprised his grade wasn't worse, but if you look at it, he had a 64.1% completion percentage. That's not the worst, 67.6 adjusted. Um, zero drops in this game. This is only one of two games where there were zero drops. So when I praise the wide receivers for actually kind of looking decent, that's part of it. I mean, they weren't perfect. It's, you know, come back and fight for the ball. Get your feet down. You know, don't double clutch it. All that, just little, little minor things that would go from like that play wasn't good to that play was awesome. But they were fighting, you know. He actually had three big time throws in the game, 7.5%, which is really high. Two turnover worthy plays at 4.8%. So it wasn't the worst. Receiving grades, not much to see here. Two guys graded out well, Tucker Craft and A.J. Dillon, both in the low 70s. As far as yards per route run, actually only one cracked two yards per route run, and it was Samori Ture, which is kind of cool to see. Um, he ran 11 routes. He was targeted four of those 11, which is relatively high. I mean, that's you know one-third of the time when you're out there running a route, the ball's coming your way. He caught two of those. Dontavian Wicks, who was like the guy um, as far as like yards per route run and getting stuff done, he was actually at 0.77 yards per route run. It was a rough day for him. He's also dealing with an potentially very serious ankle injury he mentioned to a reporter it was all effed up was his quote uh some talk about it potentially being a high ankle sprain i haven't seen any confirmation on that i don't know rushing grades patrick taylor 76 aj dillon 65 as i mentioned patrick taylor i just think is a better better running back it's not to say he's as skilled as big as strong as fast all that stuff that's dylan but taylor just he just looks good man 
He had better blocking grades. He's, he's, I mean, better blocker, better runner. Maybe not as good a receiver as Dylan, which is, I, I didn't I mention that when I was watching the game or one, one of these podcasts? It's so ridiculous to me that Dylan is best used like out on the boundary, like get him, split him out wide and throw passes to him. Like that's, that's so counterintuitive to what you would think for an AJ Dylan, which is kind of why it doesn't work in my brain. So I'm not advocating for Patrick Taylor full time necessarily. I'm, I mean, just just write it out. Um, but I, I, I very strongly, my my focus right now, and this shifts every week. But my focus right now is offensive line and running back. You know, let's let's really get that going. It's going to be great for Jordan Love in terms of protection, um, but it's also going to be fantastic to be able to really do some damage up front, not just pass blocking, which is the most important thing by a mile, but really being able to to get this run blocking thing going, really get some great running backs. I mean, I, I don't even mind keeping Dylan for the right price and, and using him in the right situations, but um, find somebody that is AJ or Aaron Jones-esque, but ideally somebody that can actually handle a pretty decent load, not somebody we have to like, you know, oh, make sure you only give him like 10 or 11 carries a game because I'm worried about his workload. Like, screw that, dude. Let's, let's freaking get it, man, you know? They, they're kind of leaning into the physicality thing, and I think Matt LaFleur really likes that. I, I I really think that's his style. Good, lean into it. I think that was part of the idea with Dylan. Great. I mean, let's... Come on, man. Come on, Goot. Get your six-foot, 228-pound running back, and let's slam this guy into somebody, like, you know, 20 times a game and get Dylan 12 carries, you know? I don't know. I'm, I, I'm just talking. I'm just talking. I'm just saying, though, be nice. I want to be the bullies. All, all these teams are bullies. Like the Philadelphia Eagles are bullies. The 49ers are bullies. Got to be bullies, man. You got to be fast. You got to be strong. You got to be violent. I want it. I need it. All right, what's next? Offensive line, left tackle. Of course, we have the Rasheed Walker-Yash Nyman uh, hybrid thing. And again, Rasheed Walker just walked all over Yash Nyman. Not Rasheed's best day, but uh, 68 pass blocking grade, which is okay. Uh, 65 run blocking grade, which is basically elite for a Packers uh, offensive lineman. Yash Nyman comes in once again and demonstrates that he is absolutely not the guy. He had a 46 pass blocking grade and a 59 run blocking grade. So yeah, uh, Elton Jenkins had a pretty rough day. I mean, it's really kind of going downhill for Elton Jenkins. Um, I like him. But he just hasn't been the same. I mean, he had a three-game stretch where he was like the guy again. He's been bad. I mean, he's just 65 overall grade, 60 run blocking. He does have a 76 pass blocking. But he's got four games that are just bad, and this one was his worst game. It's just a big question mark for me, you know, for him. He, he, he At the very least, we got to get this pass blocking down. Like, this isn't good enough. And maybe getting some guys next to him that are a little bit better, including Rashid, uh, but also maybe Josh Myers, I don't know. Um, it couldn't hurt. I, I don't think it could hurt. Speaking of Josh Myers, um, along with John Runyon, just really trying as hard as they can to prove me wrong. When I, in 2022 said, you know what? He took a big jump, 66 to 74 pass blocking, you know, his run blocking is not good, but it went from a 49 to a 53. Like, let's give this guy an opportunity to take another step. Well, the run blocking did take another step. He went from a 49 to a 54 to a 61. Unfortunately, his pass blocking went from a 64 right back down to a 63 like his rookie year, and he had his worst week this week with a 30 pass blocking grade, which is great because, you know, this is one of the things that really ticks me off because you start to see, like, the guys that really caused this. You know what I mean? Like, I, I 
you see Jordan and it's like he missed those throws and it, it pisses you off. Like we should have destroyed the Giants, but we didn't because you kept doing that crap. And then you look at Josh Myers had his worst game. Like, really? This is the game you didn't show up for? You freaking. Like, what is your problem? Why do you fall apart here? But but it's even a bigger thing for Josh because, you know, if you look at through week seven, he didn't have any bad games. You know, it was a lot of 60s, but then he had a 77 and an 85. Since then, 50, 50, 40, 70, 40, 70, 30. Aside from the two 70s, he's had three games at 40 or lower pass blocking. 40, 70, 40, 70, 30. He, he's begging to be replaced, and I'm going to be at the front of the freaking line advocating for it if he doesn't knock this crap off, because this is bull crap. I mean, he he was not bad last year. The run blocking wasn't great, but again, as I've said before, if you're going to be a subpar or average run blocker, if you ideally you're at like a 65, right? It was like the John Runyon special. You got like a 75 pass blocking and a 65 run blocking. I can tolerate it, but you got to be able to pass block. You can't have 40s and 30s every other week pass blocking. As a center, that interior pressure where Jordan can't step up in the pocket and he's got happy feet and he's getting nervous because you don't show up against the freaking Giants of all teams. He gave up five pressures in this game, which is the most by a mile. (sighs) The most pressures he's given up in two games uh, prior to this was five. That was week eight and week nine. He gave up three and two. He gave up three pressures the four games prior to this. He gave up five in this game, four hurries and a sack. More than one quarter of his total pressures came in this game. So I'm just over it, man. I'm, I'm ready for this team to be great. I'm, I'm, I'm excited about Jordan. I'm excited about our receivers. I'm excited about our tight ends. Like, guys are starting to show up. And we got some offensive linemen that have just decided we're going to start falling apart here, right? I mean, they looked fine. Everything looked good. And now, all of a sudden, Runyon and Myers are starting to deteriorate. I just, you know what? Fine. We got Zach Tom. He's looking good. And we got guys that can that can hold the line good enough where it's not like we need to panic. We can still win. But over time, yes, we need to really, really hammer this. Right guard, John Runyon and Sean Ryan. Sean Ryan is battling, man. Um, he is, you, you want to talk about the <laughs> every other week thing. Sean Ryan... Um, so the run blocking is a 55.5, pretty standard uh, Packers guard. The pass blocking, though, here's how it went in his five games. 76, which is amazing. The next week, zero. Literally zero was his pass blocking grade. Then, after that, 82.6, which is amazing. After that, 30. And then this week, 82. So I'll, I'll, I'll give him this. Like, this is promising insofar as he is like the Packers in a nutshell. He's a young guy. He's not getting a lot of experience. He's not getting a lot of time. Like, these are, these are, he played 15 snaps, six snaps, 13 snaps, seven snaps, and 12 snaps. And to be fair, the two that were sub 10 opportunities, and actually even less than that as far as pass blocking, but the, the two in which they were less opportunities are the two in which he had really bad pass blocking grades, which means, You know, he had four opportunities and he just completely botched all four of them and got a zero grade. But it's four. What happens when he gets like 24? 
but it's also just a matter of like, can you, can you level this off a little bit? You know, first of all, we need more good games and less bad games. You can't have, you know, three out of five. That's not going to cut it. We can't do 40% being bad games, but also we can't have them be this bad. It can't be zeros and thirties. Like if you want to have a couple fifties and maybe a 40 mixed in. Okay. But, um, I'm, I'm, I am relatively encouraged by it. Just first of all, that he's getting the opportunities. And second of all, he's kind of matching Runyon because Runyon had a good day, 83 pass blocking, 56 run blocking. He was just barely above Sean Ryan in, uh, in both categories, but there is a healthy competition going on there. And then Zach Tom, just the most consistent 73 pass blocking, 69 run blocking, just solid every week. Uh, when was the last time he had just a bad week? I don't think he's had a bad week. He had one bad run blocking game week two against Atlanta, and that's it. Now, he hasn't been great. I mean, it's mostly high 60s, low 70s every week, but um, I mean, it's consistent. 59.3 was his lowest grade. He had two in the 80s. Otherwise, it's, you know, 60, 60, 70, 60, 60, 60, 60, 70, 60, 60, 70. I mean, it's just, you know, I'd like it to be a little little better just overall, but I mean, he's just consistent. He's solid. You know, is there a world in which, you know, we really hit, you know, we, we start going hard over the next two to three years on offensive line and, and we end up just doing better. Maybe Zach Tom moves to say, and maybe that's the thing, man. You know, the Packers really like him at center. Maybe we really do just hit a home run on a tackle and we just kick him inside. You know, if we get a couple of good tackles over the over the next couple of years, move him inside. I don't know. But um, anyways, that's where it's at. I got I to gotta speed this up. Let's go over to defense. Pretty similar, except there was more good and more really bad. Um, so just overall, Devontae Wyatt was the highest graded. Another guy that just is unnecessarily hated i don't know why uh but he had a 90 pff grade he had five pressures on 14 attempts which is insane there were 17 pressures by the entire team almost a third of that was Devonte wyatt 71.5 run defense grade he was the second highest second best run defender 71.4 tackling grade and 88.5 pass rush which was the best by a mile tj slayton as i mentioned 87 grade was the second highest graded out well across the board the other three that were good, Eric Wilson, Colby Wooden, and Lucas Van Ness. Isaiah McDuffie with a 68.3, which I think is absolute psychotic madness that somebody would grade him anything less than a 90, but whatever. Valentine, 66. Preston, 66. Ford, 63. Clark, 62. Owen, 62. Campbell, 59. Gary, 58. I'm getting really tired of him being so low every single week. Although the pressures look good again this week, so I guess I'll get over it. Savage 58, uh, Carl Brooks at a 50.5. And then you get the three bad ones that I mentioned, Ballantyne 46, in, uh, Inigbare 41, Keyshawn Nixon 40. Uh, run defense, Devontae Wyatt, TJ Slayton were the two good ones. Keyshawn Nixon, Kingsley, and Corey Ballantyne were the bad ones. Tackling the bad grades, Nixon, Savage, Owens, Ballantyne, Pass rush, you just had, uh, I'll put Colby Wooden mixed in there. He had a 69.1 grade. TJ Slayton, 76.2. Devontae Wyatt, 88.5. Nobody had a quote-unquote bad grade in, you know, as far as how I look at it. Coverage, nobody really graded out well, but I'll give it to Carrington Valentine with a 69 grade. One bad one was Keyshawn Nixon. Looking at the stats, uh, as I mentioned, pressures. Wyatt had five on 14 attempts. 
Kingsley had three on just nine attempts, which is solid. Rashawn Gary had three on 20 attempts. Kenny Clark, two pressures, 24 attempts. Lucas Van Ness had one on seven attempts, which is really low. They must be really putting him down quite a bit. Um, although there just doesn't seem to be a lot of attempts across the board. But anyways, Isaiah McDuffie, one on four attempts. Uh, Slayton, we did already. Preston had one on 17 attempts. Uh, and then you had, uh, as far as attempts with no results carl brooks was kind of the only one uh that stands out there were like two from wooden and one from devondre but carl brooks had 13 attempts with no pressures of the 17 pressures zero sacks which is also kind of disheartening uh pressures can be disruptions but on some level you got to get to the quarterback and they just couldn't do it which is really unfortunate i mentioned darnell savage led the team in tackles also led the team in missed tackles. Um, stops, the only guy that stands out is Devontae Wyatt. Again, he had four stops, which is pretty fantastic. He only had four tackles. Forced fumbles, there were none. Coverage statistics, the most targeted was Keyshawn Nixon five times. Four of those were caught for 60 yards, 116.7 passer rating. Carrington Valentine, four targets, four receptions, 29 yards, uh, which isn't terrible, but he also gave up a touchdown, so that is terrible. Corey Ballantyne, three targets, two receptions, 17 yards. Nothing wrong with that. Savage, three targets, three receptions, 15 yards. Nothing wrong with that. Campbell, three targets, two receptions, 25 yards. Not the greatest, not the worst. Jonathan Owens, two targets, two receptions, just 12 yards. Nothing wrong with that. Otherwise, Isaiah McDuffie, again, not getting enough credit. The only guy that played a good amount in coverage, 19 snaps, zero times was he targeted. So I think uh, they're wrong about McDuffie, but who cares? Doesn't matter. I didn't watch all his snaps. I just like McDuffie. That's, that's all I know. I just like him. He was the highest graded tackler. I think that's the thing. I think tackling, for some reason, is like the main thing for a lot of fans. I mean, really. I mean, if you look at the pass rush grades, nobody cares. You look at the pass rush statistics. Devontae Wyatt dominated. Nobody knows his name. Nobody cares. You know who everybody likes? McDuffie with the highest tackling grade. You know who everybody hates? The guys that miss the tackles. That is like the number one thing, it seems like, for fans. I don't think fans recognize it, but I think deep in our brains, tackling is, is if you miss a tackle, we hate you. If you make tackles, we love you. But yet, if you try to make an argument for a player based on tackles, you sound like an idiot. So I'll leave you with that, I guess. Anyways, I got to get out of here because I still have to do Packernet after dark, and it's almost 10 o'clock. So we got to rock and roll. Have a good night. Bye-bye.